Okay, everybody, I'm going to go ahead and uh, get us started for this evangelism training class. Just want to say thank you guys for being so eager to sign up. It's encouraging to see you guys all here just because it's such an important discipline and part of the Christian life to be sharing our faith. Before we get started, uh, I'm going to pass this QR code around. Just pull out your phone and scan it. If you didn't do the uh, sign up online, uh, if you don't know how to do it, ask your neighbor and they can help you. The only reason why is not just for your name and record that you're here, but uh, also so that um, there's some survey questions in there. And I'm just trying to gauge where people are uh, in their uh, practice of evangelism, if they've ever done any training, anything like that. So that's just really helpful. So just keep passing it along. If you haven't registered, please do that. Um, and uh, that'd be really helpful for, for us as we're trying to evaluate where we are as a church in our health in this way, okay? So, um, yes? If you do it again, I'll just delete your second one or your first one, whatever. Oh, man. <laughs> then we'll know that Luke's a confused human being. Okay. Awesome. Well, um, so we'll go ahead and get started. This is session one, uh, the, the biblical basis for evangelism. Evangelism is what we're covering today. And just to give you a heads up, you probably see it in your notes. I cite the book, but this is a picture of visual representation of it, not a picture. Uh, of an invitation to evangelism, sharing the gospel with compassion and conviction by Timothy Beoger. I don't even know if I can say that right. Maybe it's not how you say it. So, um, but he is a, a guy at Southern Seminary, uh, evangelism professor, and uh, I found this to be a very helpful book. It seems that they use this as, it's a newer book, they use it as a textbook at um, Southern. So anyway, it looks really good. I've, I've flipped through a number of chapters of it in the entire series that I'm teaching you guys from. I tried to whittle it down to four, and I've taken a couple chapters for each session and kind of, you know, not dumb them down, but, you know, water, not water them down, that's even worse. Um, but just kind of, you know, sum, um, summarize them. Yes, there we go. And you're going to see that as we're going through about. So the question is, what is evangelism? We always want to start there. Okay, what is evangelism? Well, the etymology of this Greek word, euangelion, it, it means good news. And good news is inherently something that's meant to be proclaimed, which is another Greek word that's used, the word keruso. Uh, it's a word to pro- proclaim. Uh, often, um, soldiers would come back, or scouts or whoever would come back from a battle that's already been won and go ahead of the army and announce, hey, we've won. They would tell this good news, this euangelion, and do that. In the New Testament, it's, this word euangelion is used over 100 times, and so it's so important for us to know what it means and the implications of it. But first, let's do a little bit of talking about, just real briefly, of what it is not. So evangelism is not merely this idea of mere presence. This was kind of promoted by St. Francis of Assisi. You've probably heard this before, uh, this whole idea of preach the gospel, and if necessary, use words. It is a really kind of foolish idea. It's like saying feed the hungry, and if necessary, use food. It, it doesn't make sense, okay? And, but that's, the idea there is that people are saying, well, let's, let's be the hands and feet of Jesus by our actions. Let them see the gospel. We should let people by our actions see the gospel, but the gospel is something inherently meant to be proclaimed. It's meant to be proclaimed, and so we can't um, separate words from the proclamation of the gospel. So preach the gospel, and it is necessary to use words. That's probably better uh, said. So a couple definitions I actually want to unpack for you before we get to the definition that I use for this series. Um, this Anglican definition from 1918, I'm going to read it to you and then talk to you about some critiques about it, okay? Uh, it says this, To evangelize is so to present Christ Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit that men shall come to put their trust in God through Him, to accept Him as their Savior 
and serve him as their king in the fellowship of his church. I really like this definition. I think there's a lot of good things about it. We're wanting to present Christ to the world. And how we do it is in the power of the Holy Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit. And what's the goal? Well, we want people, we want mankind to put their trust in God through him, through Jesus, right? And I think this is exactly right. And it even highlights the idea of Jesus being our Savior and our King or Lord, okay? This is a definition from over 100 years ago. But what does that ultimately do to that person who comes to God? Well, they become part of the fellowship of the church. It ties all those things together. Now, this receives some pushback by two well-known theologians, J.I. Packer and John Stott. And they do this because they push back on this idea of that men shall come to put their trust in God through him. And they say it might seem that this definition tends toward trying to be effective in your gospel sharing in the sense of, um, and let me write what I, read what I wrote, I'm sorry. Because they believe that focused on whether a response happened, and thus focused on the effectiveness of the evangelization, which is dangerous because that could influence that those sharing the gospel to modify the message to make it to where they're focusing on results. Uh, in this book, he actually shares one testimony of, a, of some guys who are doing mugging evangelism, is how he nicknamed it or coined it, where they cornered a guy and said, you need to pray this prayer, and if you pray this prayer, you're saved. And he's like, I don't want to pray a prayer. Like, and so they keep just hammering on them to pray this prayer. And the guy, out of annoyance, finally does, and they walk away, and they felt like they won someone to Christ. But they didn't. They didn't. And um, so the idea is, what, what is most effective, bringing about the most results? That's called pragmatism. If you haven't heard that word, pragmatism. It is an idea that we do what is most effective, and a lot of times at the cost of what is true or what is right. Um, in other words, uh, the ends will justify the means. Okay, So if I have this goal, it doesn't matter what I do to get there, uh, that's, that's essentially pragmatism. And that's not the way the gospel should be preached. And that's not the way the gospel should be handled as well. Because God doesn't call us to be fruitful. Okay, in this, in this sense of evangelism. He calls us to be faithful. Remember in 1 Corinthians where he says that there's some that water, there's some that plant seeds, but God brings forth the growth? That's where that idea comes from. We're to be faithful to water. We're to be faithful to plant seeds. But it's God who makes it fruitful. God who brings the f- fruit forward, and we recognize it's all because of him. Other definitions, which this is, a, this is one I, I like. It's a really short one, and I think one that's popular. But evangelism is witness. It's one beggar telling another beggar where to get food. And it's playing off that idea that Jesus Christ is the bread of life, that he's the only thing that satisfies us, right? I think that's a helpful definition in a sense of it shows us, as those evangelizing, the necessity for humility, right? We we recognize we need Jesus too, just like they need Jesus. Yes, we're in his family, uh, but we have nothing apart from Jesus. And so we're saying, hey, this is where the bread of life is. This is where the one who satisfies the longing soul is. Let's, let me show you where he is, the bread of life, Jesus Christ. And then also, there's this one uh, definition that's been used in a lot of evangelism textbooks ever since 1974 at this summit of Christian leaders. And they were meeting on world evangelization, and they came up with this definition. And I like it because it echoes 1 Corinthians 15. If you're pay att- paying attention closely, you'll hear it. To evangelize is to spread the good news that Jesus Christ died for our sins and was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. And that as the reigning Lord, he now offers the forgiveness of sins and the liberating gift of the spirit to all who repent and believe. I think that's helpful because it bases it in the scriptures. I think it's a really great definition and one that's used very often. So 
Now going to your notes, you'll notice at the top of that page, I had the definition from this guy, Dr. Timothy here, and um, you'll see it there. I'm going to go ahead and read it. The compassionate, this is evangelism, the compassionate sharing of the good news of Jesus Christ with lost people in the power of the Holy Spirit for the purpose of bringing them to Christ as Savior and Lord, that they in turn might share him with others. And so your first point on there that you're going to notice is this. Notice the fill in the blank, okay? Is the spirit of evangelism. The spirit of evangelism. If you turn in your Bibles and hope you brought it with you, you're going to want to bring your Bibles every week. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, verse 36. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Sounds familiar. In Matthew 9, 36. And the first person who gets there, just go ahead and read it. So we notice even that's from our text this morning. We see when he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. He had compassion for them. This is uh, the spirit of evangelism. We approach these crowds and we see them like sheep without a shepherd. That's what they are. When we see lost people, we shouldn't sit there in judgment of them thinking, oh, that person's wicked, that person's horrible, or that person's disgusting. Hey, those things could be true of them, but guess what? They're also true of you apart from Christ. And so we should approach people with a spirit of compassion. There's some people out there, um, what, I, I heard the story once actually, of, um, of a, a man had taken his daughter. He had taken her to get her ears pierced. And actually, I think it came from this book. Um, and he takes her to get her ears pierced, and he, he, this girl in line behind him has all these piercings all over, this, everywhere. And he's like, man, this, that, that girl's creepy. And the daughter turns around, and she start, his own daughter starts sharing the gospel with her. And he realizes he didn't have compassion on her. And the girl even asked, that was, um, that was uh, hearing the gospel, she said, why would God even love me? And what a humbling experience for, for him uh, in, the, in this story. But having compassion on people is so essential. I remember this summer when we went to Utah, and Jacob Leslie with me, was with me, Elizabeth Butler, and I think one other person, was, I don't know if it was Eddie. Um, it was Cade. Yeah, Cade, that's right. And um, we were sitting in the Mormon Museum in downtown Salt Lake City, and we're sharing the gospel with these two girls. And I remember just, you know, all of our training and all the people we met all week, it was our last day there, and just hearing them trying to explain their Mormon worldview. And even one point where she said, I didn't like what the prophet said. I thought it was wrong. And I'm like, oh, that's a good route for me to start having a conversation to get her to thinking about the Bible. And she said, but I kept praying about it, and I kept praying about it until I felt good about it. So her reason was saying that was contradictory of what I believe, what the prophet said, but she just prayed her way through it. And really that just broke my heart because in the sense of just, she's lying to herself and, and filling herself up with emo the emotion of prayer to, until she feels a good feeling so she could be settled. But really she's just denying the obvious of what was in that context. I forget exactly what she was saying, but what was contradictory um, and was not good. And so what we hold um, is the word of life. We hold the word of God in our hands. And so we have to bring the gospel to people with a spirit of compassion, like Christ when he saw people like sheep without a shepherd. The next point I want to point out for us is the method of evangelism. The method of evangelism. And that's going to be in uh, the book of Acts. Book of Acts, 835. First person who has it, why don't you go ahead and read it. So Philip opens his mouth, right? And what does he do? He begins to share with him the good news about Jesus. Now, if you notice, even in this context, he, he pulls up to the, to the eunuch 
the eunuch says to him, um, and he's actually reading uh, this passage in Isaiah, and he's like, how can I um, understand what I'm reading unless someone guides me? And then what does Philip do? He heard the dilemma of the Ethiopian eunuch, and then he shared the gospel. And that's really the focus here. The method of evangelism is sharing. We talked about this a moment ago, but it's sharing, if you want to fill in the blank there. Sharing involves both talking and listening, though. It's not just a one-way monologue. Sharing is a dialogue when you're sharing the gospel with someone. I remember uh, one time I was doing door-to-door evangelism uh, when I was in college, and I was very nervous. And I remember one time showing up at a man's door. I knock on the door. I start having the conversation. He asks me why I'm there, and I just, start, I just start going right into sharing the gospel. And I'm just flying through the Romans road, just talking all the gospel, and I'm talking and talking. He lets me go on for about 10 minutes. And then he says, that's great, young man. You did a great job. I'm a member over at First Baptist Church. You did a fantastic job. And I'm like, man, I just wasted 10 minutes. <laughs> and he was encouraging, but I'm like, I should have gotten to know the guy a little bit more. And then I wouldn't have wasted my time walking through the whole thing. You know? And I'm sitting here thinking, he's listening. I got him reeled in, right? He's hearing the gospel. Well, no, he was just a really nice guy and thought I did a good job. So anyway, it, sharing is not just talking. It's listening. It's doing both. And so remember, this is kind of this anti-mere presence approach that we talked about in the beginning. Uh, Some Proverbs to help you out and help you think about this. Go to Proverbs chapter 18. We'll see a number of them in this chapter. Proverbs chapter 18, verse 2. Someone read verse 2 when you get to Proverbs chapter 18. First person to get it. Just go ahead and start. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinions. Hmm. Right? A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, seeing where someone comes from, but only expressing his opinion. Imagine if I just, that was a Mormon that I met at the door, and I didn't get to know him, and he affirmed me, and I just walked away. And I thought, oh, that guy's a Christian. No, he, he's an unbeliever the whole time, right, if, if that was the case. But it wasn't. Thankfully, he went to First Baptist. But, right, so we, we see this. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Now, let's go down in verse, or chapter 18 and go down to um, verse 13. So I want to read verse 13. Wow, the Proverbs have a lot of emphasis on this. And then lastly, verse 15. Hmm. Right? So the intelligent and the wise, what do they do? They seek and acquire knowledge. That's what we want to do in our method of evangelism and sharing. We want to talk to them and we want to listen. It's a dialogue, not a monologue. All right? So the next point here, our next point is the content of evangelism. The content of evangelism. And let's turn to Luke chapter 2, verse 10. First person to get it, why don't you go ahead and read it. Luke chapter 2, verse 10. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. Notice how the angel approaches them. Obviously, saying to fear not. Why? Because this is... It's a, a holy and, and great scene of seeing this whole host of angels. And they say to fear not because of that. For behold, what does he bring? He brings them euangelion. He brings them good news. And how should they respond to that good news? Oh, that's, that's, that's nice news. That's great. Wonderful. Right? No, no. It's gr- good news. What? Of great joy. And what's ultimately for what? That will be for all the people. That will be for all the people. So our sharing of the good news should reflect the attitude of the angels. It should be filled with joy. I mean, how do you go to someone and say, yeah, Jesus died for me. He's, he's a 
pretty cool guy. You like Jesus? You want to accept him, right? No, who's going to want that, right? No one's going to want to, something you don't really care about. And so do a heart check. What, do you understand the content of the gospel? Does it shape you? Really, the content of the gospel, as the angels proclaim here, is the good news of Jesus Christ. If you're filling in the blanks there, the good news of Jesus Christ. It's good news. And sometimes um, when we show reluctance in sharing, we don't convey the right attitude. So we shouldn't share just merely out of duty, although it is our duty to share the gospel. We are commissioned by the King of Kings to go share our faith. Nevertheless, it should be done with a heart of joy, of compassion. And so um, that is the content, the good news of Jesus Christ. And what is that good news? That good news is the fact, and as we said, even 1 Corinthians 15, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the He's buried, and he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was seen. You know that? That's part of the gospel too, that he was seen by the 12 apostles and over 500 other people at one time. That's the content of the gospel. It's, a, it's an eyewitness event. And so we want to keep that in mind, that our faith is not just a burning in the bosom that we feel good about, right? Actually, our faith is grounded in facts. It's a reasonable faith. And so when we share our faith, we can have confidence. And that confidence will um, just exude joy as well as we're sharing our faith. So the, the next point that we have here, and you're filling the blank, is the recipients of evangelism. The recipients of evangelism, which is lost people, which is lost people. And um, we, we turn here to Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Someone read that, Luke chapter 19, verse 10. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's why He came. These are the recipients that the Son of Man is, he had come to seek after. And not just to seek them, but to save them. But to save the lost. So part of aligning our mission as a church with this exact mission of Christ in this text in Luke 19.10 and others, like Matthew 28.18-20, will be by grasping that people all around us are lost. If you're a lost person, you're seeking something to direct your desires towards or to just satisfy you, but you don't know the way. You go from one thing to the next, and you find it's empty, and it's after one thing or another. We all, if we're believers in Christ, can relate to this. We can relate to having a time in our life where we were empty, and we're not filled, and we're not joyful, but the gospel filled that. And so when we look at lost people, we have to remember they're searching. I remember when I used to... Um, go to, uh, I went on a mission trip to Mexico and Panama, and we, we were partnered with this team that was from Argentina, and most of them actually spoke really good English, and they're from all over South America, and they did this skit in Spanish uh, for kids at these different schools, and this skit had a giant heart, and these small hearts of like things that could satisfy your heart, and only one thing fit in there, which is Christ, and it was all in Spanish, so it would say drogas for drugs, or you know, all these different things, it was kind of funny, I was like, oh, I can learn Spanish while the things are doing. Well, but it's had like drugs and sex and uh, a bunch of other things they would try to fill in, like money, power, fame. And then lastly, the one thing that fit in the skit was Christ, Jesus Christ. And then after that skit, we would share the gospel. And it was a powerful skit, but a wonderful picture of seeing these people who are lost are always seeking something. And so we want to make sure we help them uh, to, to understand the gospel. And so we got to instruct them. We got to instruct them. And, and the lost people need direction. And that's why, um, you know, if you watch the movie The Pilgrim's Progress, or you read the book, the evangelist keeps coming up. The evangelist, he keeps coming up. And he, what does he do? He points him forward. He points him in the right direction of where a pilgrim needs to go, or a Christian needs to go, the pilgrim. Um, 
And so it's a powerful picture. I remember around uh, Christmas time, you know, we, our boys love Legos. And Shiloh's much better at Legos, but Thaddeus isn't. So we got this little Ninjago Lego set. And I'm trying to show him how to build it. I don't want to just do it all for him. Well, Thaddeus kind of ended up having to. Um, well, so I'm trying to get him to do it, and he's wanting to skip ahead. He's like, oh, I like this piece and that piece, and he's trying to put it all together without following the instructions. And then what happens? He gets lost, and then he gets frustrated, right? And so what, need, what did Thaddeus need? He needed a step-by-step walking through instruction. And I think that's what lost people need. They don't know the way. They don't know the way. We have to instruct them step-by-step to Christ, and the Holy Spirit and his power will draw them to himself as we instruct them in the gospel, what, telling them what is the gospel. And so the next point, the next point here, is the power for evangelism. The power for evangelism. Okay? The power for evangelism. And this is the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8. Someone read for me Acts 1.8. That's right. The power for evangelism is the Holy Spirit of God, whom the Father and the Son have sent to live within our hearts and to help us to, f- to fulfill the Great Commission, to help us fulfill the Great Commission. And the Apostle Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians 2, chapter 1 to 5, when he talks about the nature of his proclamation. Someone read for that, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, 1 to 5. So the way we present the gospel and the power for evangelism when the gospel message is presented in this example for Paul, when he was preaching to the Corinths, who really loved a good show, we could say, even a rhetorical show, was not to go into eloquent speech, but rather just to present Christ crucified. And then the, the Spirit of God would demonstrate the power of God in the gospel. Because we know the gospel is the power of God, right? Romans 1.16, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it, the gospel itself, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. Right? That's the, that's the gospel. It, that is powerful in and of itself. Now, when I was making your notes, um, I discovered an error after I printed it. I couldn't go back because it's too late. But there's two more. Two more things to write. The blank of evangelism there, you'll see. So we'll write those in. So the next one is the purpose of evangelism. You can write it to the right, that whole blank space you have. I'm not going to fill that in with stuff at the bottom, in the middle of the page there. So you could fill that in if you need to. But the purpose of evangelism. And that's to bringing them to Christ as Savior and Lord. Bring them to Christ as Savior and Lord. And we see this in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. And I'll, I'll repeat that in just in, again in a minute. But someone read that for me. Acts chapter 16, verse 31. This is where we see the purpose of evangelism. Now notice, even in that text itself, that idea of being saved and and believing in Christ as Lord are wedded together. It's not one without the other. There's this false idea out there that, oh, I can accept Jesus as my Savior and then live my life how I want, and then one day 
live for, live for him recognizing his lordship. No, those go together. The, the, trusting in Christ as Savior and obeying him as Lord. Because the very first command we're given as believers um, following our salvation is baptism, right? We follow Christ in obedience by being baptized. And so by even giving that public profession, I'm saying that Christ is Lord of my life because I'm going to do what he tells me to do and be baptized. And so I'm submitting to his lordship by taking that first step of obedience. So um, we got to be careful of that whole dichotomy that we separate. That's the idea of easy believism. And essentially, people don't submit to God as Lord. And we, in our evangelism, we don't want to say, okay, Christ has saved you. Have a nice day, right? We want them to say, no, now you need to submit to him as Lord. Now you need to be, need to be connected to the local church, which leads us to our next point. Okay, the last point I just read was the purpose of evangelism, bringing them to Christ as Savior and Lord. This next one, uh, which comes from that one, is the perpetuation of evangelism. The perpetuation of evangelism. Okay, and this is from 2 Timothy 2.2. Could someone read that for me? 2 Timothy 2.2, the perpetuation of evangelism. So we see here in Paul charging Timothy to invest in people who will also invest in other people. We see this idea that, at least principally, we can apply from this text. The text isn't explicitly saying this, but we can apply this. I would say evangelism should lead to discipleship, and thus discipleship should lead to more evangelism. Right? These go together. You know, they're two sides of the same coin. We can't do one without the other. A lot of times churches can be really strong on evangelism, but weak on discipleship, or really strong on discipleship, but weak on evangelism. But a healthy church is going to seek to be balanced in both. We want to be good disciple makers, and we want to be good at evangelism. And so that leads us to the end of this section here that I was covering. But our next section we're going into is, I'm just going to have the scripture references for your fill in the blanks. It's all the scripture references. And we're going to turn to these different passages and look at an overview of evangelism in the Bible. So we might call this section a theological analysis of evangelism in scripture. And a big reason why I did this, which is um, helpful for us, is I want you to see that this is a a big theme in all of scripture that God has uh, ordained and commanded for us. And so... If we better, better understand the whole um, doctrine of God and, and really the whole theme of Scripture here, uh, this, this thread going through Scripture, it's going to help us um, see it as we're in reading our Bibles, especially as we're in Genesis now. We're going to see that it's really important as well. Uh, a Scottish theologian, James Denny, once asserted, if our evangelists were theologians and our theologians were evangelists, we would be near the ideal church. I like that. Because there's some people who are passionate about evangelism, but sometimes their theology can get a little whack. There's some who are really theological, ivory tower type guys, but they don't often get out of their uh, four walls and share their faith. And we should, we should actually seek to be um, evangelists who are also theologians and do a good job at both those things. Okay, so first passage of scripture, if, um, if you know your Bible well, you probably know exactly where I'm going, Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15, this is often called the Proto-Euangelion, uh, meaning the first instance in the Bible of the good news, and it's in the garden, in the garden. Someone read that for me. We're going to read each of these as we get to them. Who would like to read Genesis 3.15? Okay, go ahead. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. So we see there a prophecy looking to Christ, and the offspring of the woman crushing the head of the serpent, which is the curse, the symbol of the curse. And so Christ crushes the curse. 
and a powerful picture of that good news even after their fall there. The next passage of scripture I want to look to uh, is Genesis 12, 1 to 3. Genesis 12, 1 to 3. This is often be called the Old Testament Great Commission at times. Someone read that. Okay. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Hmm. That's great. And so notice, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And there's this idea of taking the gospel to all the nations in Scripture. And so God had specifically intended Abraham, Abraham, or Abram at that time, but becomes Abraham, of course, uh, to be the light uh, to the nations. Okay? And our next passage I want to go to, and, and this is kind of a sky-high view. There's a lot of passages we could fit in. We could probably spend weeks on the entire, what the entire Bible says about it. But the next passage I want to go to is Exodus 19, 3 to 6. Exodus 19, 3 to 6. Go ahead and turn to that. And first person to get there, go ahead and read it. So we see that God is making Israel agents of his divine blessing. And you actually see this idea of being a kingdom of priests and his treasured possession even carried into the New Testament in 1 Peter chapter 2. And so this is, ends up even also becoming the role of the church to be this kingdom of priests and a holy nation uh, for the Lord. It's a powerful picture, a, a treasured possession uh, for Christ. And that's what his church is, a treasured possession. So <clears throat> Psalm 67. Psalm 67. So go ahead and turn there and someone read that. Psalm 67. As we think about even this passage and, and God being gracious and, and, and blessing us and, and really to make his face to shine upon us, why? You notice what the text says, that your way may be known on earth. We want God's way to be known on earth. We want all people to know God's way because God's way, as we know as believers, is best. And it's what we were made for. And so we, we want God to be gracious to us and that we could see the saving power of Christ among all the nations. We want all the peoples to praise God. And so like that, like that verse says in verse 4, let the nations be glad and sing for joy. We want that to be the case. And as we even reflect, um, we'll get to another verse here in the, in, in the end, but um, the Revelation 5, that's to be a passage we go to as well. So Isaiah 66. Someone read Isaiah 66, 18 to 24.
So I'm going to go ahead and read that. So we look at this really powerful picture at the very end of the book of Isaiah and to see how God is planning to gather all nations and tongues to himself, all people. And this is prophesied really clearly in this passage. And we, so we see God wants his glory to be among the nations. We want, and that's what his plan is, to the coastlands far away, to those who have not heard my fame or seen my glory, and they shall declare my glory among the nations. That's God's goal. That's what God is driven toward and doing here. And uh, he will be worshipped, he will be praised, and we see this really clearly in that passage as well. Now, um, we could cover a lot more passages, like I said, but let's continue into the New Testament now in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Matthew 1, 21. Someone read that for me. Right? The description of Jesus' name and what it means. He will save his people from their sins. This is part of God's fulfillment. At, notice, if you remember in the beginning of Matthew chapter 1, the genealogy, and then it leads up to, the, to Christ uh, being named in his humanity, Jesus, the one who will save his people from their sins. Fulfillment of what's taken place in the Old Testament. And then Luke chapter 2, 10 to 11, we already read verse 10, but add 11 in there. You'll see it's really important as well. What does that say? Someone read that right when you get there. Once again, Savior and Lord. Notice that's there. They're both there. Christ the Savior is born and He's, he's Lord. Both those things go together. Can't forget that. But this good news of great joy that's for all people is a fulfillment of prophecy in the city of David. This is prophesied in Micah, if you remember, in the book of Micah. And so we see this once again, this all coming to fulfillment. This good news is coming, and it's already there. And then in John's gospel, uh, two verses in John's gospel, you can put it on the same line there, okay? So John one twenty nine and 14.6. So someone read those. 
And we'll have one more verse after that. John 1, 29, and then someone read 14, 6. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Hmm. So this, this theme and this idea of Jesus being the Lamb of God points back to the Old Testament sacrifices. Jesus, the Lamb of God. Notice in its singular, it doesn't say plural sins. It says the sin of the world. He's an offering once for all. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then uh, John 14, 6. Excellent. That's one of the eight I am statements in the, in the Gospel of John. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. We see this idea of evangelism. There's only one way. This good news, it's, that is the only way. Praise God that that's the only way. That there isn't multiple ways. There's only one way. Praise God for that. This is good news for us. And then lastly, we would say maybe the, the closing of evangelism in the sense this beautiful picture in heaven Revelation chapter 5, 9 to 10. Someone read that for me. Revelation chapter 5, 9 to 10. So notice even in verse 10, some of those thematic things I brought out of Exodus, uh, we saw there, right? A kingdom of priests, kingdom, a kingdom and priests to our God that, that they will reign on the earth. We see that there clearly. But also what we see here is God has ransomed people from every tribe, language, people, and nation. Now, sadly, some people think, okay, we need to make the church look like this today. And they do these diversity quotas kind of thing, and that's kind of a, a really bad goal in a way. If you do your best in where you live, I mean, everyone we should extend the invitation to the gospel. But notice, this is heaven. This is what it will be like in heaven. So we should share the gospel with everyone we come in contact with, best of our ability, share the gospel, and let the Lord bring about the growth. Let's just be faithful to do what he's commanded us to do. But we can't control the number of people from specific people, language, or nation, or tribe. There might be... There might be a tribe out there or a language where there's only one person who comes to faith in Christ who ends up in heaven. It could be the case. We don't know. God knows. But we could imagine that possibly be the case. But there are people that will be in heaven from every tribe, language, and people, and nation. So knowing that that is going to be the worship scene of heaven, we should be driven to every tribe, people, language, and nation and let the Lord bring about the growth that he so desires. And so... Now, um, we'll move on to the next page, if you want to flip your uh, notes over. Um, we're going to focus on the King's Commission, and what is our, His commission to us as believers in Christ? And we're going to talk about five different things that, that His commission it gives us, okay? It gives us five things in particular, okay? And we're gonna, I'm going to walk through these for us. In Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20, we see that the King's Commission gives us the authority, and that passage, someone go ahead and turn to Matthew 28, 18 to 20, and read it for us. Matthew 28, 18 to 20. Michaela, why don't you just say it out loud? <laughs> Jesus came and said to them, 
youth know that one well. Um, and notice how it opens. What did Jesus say to them? All authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So go. Go, therefore. And so the king, in his commission, he gives us the authority to go about and share the gospel. I love this story of Hugh Latimer, an English reformer who recognized the authority given to him by God could not be diminished by other men. Like the apostles, when they were being told, you shall not speak anymore in this name, they said, we must obey God rather than man. And so in the same way for him, one time when he was preaching before King Henry VIII, he made a particular point of application concerning sin that deeply offended the king. And being outraged and offended by what he had preached, he was ordered to apologize to the king in his sermon the next Sunday. And uh, one author, Michael uh, Kokoris, describes what happened the following Sunday when he began his sermon. He said this, Hugh Latimer, dost thou know before whom thou art this day to speak? To the high and mighty monarch, the king's most excellent majesty, who can take away thy life if thou offendest. Therefore, take heed that thou speakest not a word that may displease. But then consider well, Hugh, dost thou know from whence thou comest? Upon whose message thou art sent? Even by the great and mighty God, who is all present, and who beholdeth all thy ways, and who is able to cast thy soul into hell? Therefore, take care that thou deliverest thy message faithfully. Well, Latimer showed up the next Sunday, and he preached the same message, and he just preached it with a lot more passion than he did before. Well, he was martyred for that. He was killed by Bloody Mary, as she's known. And why? Well, he truly understood that the authority he had was not from King Henry VIII. It was from God. It was from the King of Kings. He understood Matthew 28, 18. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And what did he do? He faithfully preached the word of God with no compromise. He did not need to submit to King Henry there because King Henry was leaving the sphere of government and trying to rule the church. And that was wrong. So the king's commission gives us the authority. Next, number two. Romans 15, 20. The king's commission gives us the objective. The king's commission gives us the objective. This is Paul's objective in Romans 15. Someone read for me Romans 15, 20. Romans 15, 20. Notice he has his ambition, this objective, this goal, to preach Christ where Christ has not been named. In other words, we need to go all throughout the world to share the gospel. We need to be faithful to that. That is our objective, to preach Christ to those who have never heard, to the lost. John chapter 20, verse 21, shows us that the king's commission gives us the method. The king's commission gives us the method. What is our method? John 20, 21. Someone read that. John 20, 21. Even as the Father has sent me, so have I sent you. I got to read this book in seminary, um, excellent book by Andreas Kostenberger and Scott Swain called Father, Son, Spirit, the Trinity, and John's Gospel. Excellent book, 
Highly recommend it. It's really just a zeroed in focus on John's gospel. I don't even think he quotes another book of the Bible besides John's gospel. I mean, it's a long book. It's a good book. But in the very end, he talks about how the Trinity is our basis for missions, which I thought, wow, that's really intriguing. I've never thought of those two together. And why is that? Well, the Father sent the Son. And the Son did what? He fulfilled the mission his Father sent him on. And after he fulfilled his mission, he was sent back to the Father. And the Father and the Son, here the, listen here, they, they sent the Spirit. They sent the Spirit. And then what happened? We see really clearly the Spirit lives within us to fulfill a mission so that one day we also might return to the Father and join Him in heaven. There's this, we might say, this trajectory in the Trinity uh, to fulfill the glory of God and, and His mission in the world. And we see, we, we get our method even from the Godhead uh, to be sent. We're, we're called to be sent. We need to go. Go across the street, and maybe even with our own homes, if there are unbelievers in our own homes, but across the street to our workplace, um, wherever, to our, our extended family, to our friends, those who we interact with in a sports league like Upward or other leagues you're involved in, we need to go and we need to realize in going that we are sent by the King of Kings. Who was, who, he himself was sent by the Father. And so he's done what he's asking us to do. And so we want to be faithful to do that. The King's Commission, number four, the King's Commission also gives us the message. Turn to Luke chapter 24, 45 through 49. And we'll look there as well. Luke chapter 24. 4, 45 to 49. And someone read that for us. Notice because they are witnesses, the witnesses are told what they've witnessed. And they've been, received a charge from the Father, or from the Son here, the disciples have, from the Son, uh, to, since they now have had their minds open to understand the Scriptures, to go and proclaim what they've witnessed. This is the message. And then the King's Commission gives them this message. And lastly, the King's Commission gives us the power, Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. Someone read that for us. So notice the power of God is received in the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who has inspired the Word of God. The, God. the text of Scripture is God-breathed. And so we go with the message of the Gospel with our Bibles in hands. You know, uh, when I used to travel... Uh, I think I've only told this to a few people. It's kind of funny. But I, when I traveled uh, with the Word of Life Impact team, um, I carried my Bible with me everywhere. This is before the iPhone. Actually, the iPhone came out in 2007, so I was on the team 2008, 2009. And so I carried my Bible with me absolutely everywhere. Uh, and the guys would be like, you're ridiculous, you know, and you're like, how are you going to carry this, your, your big old Bible? Like, well, if I get the chance to share the gospel, I want to be ready. I don't, you know, before apps on the phone, right? And hard to imagine, right? But um, so I, I did that. I carried my Bible with me everywhere. 
And uh, they, they, messed, they would mess with me and be like, Bible boy. And like, they'd stand in a circle around me. There's like 11 of them and push me around. And it was really funny. Um, so I'm easy to pick on here. I'm easy to pick on everywhere. That's like kind of how it was. Um, so, yeah. So we had a good time, though. But I had my Bible with me everywhere I went. And why? Why? Like I said, this contains the words of life. It does. And so for us, for you, got to do a couple things. One, you need to know your Bible. You need to be reading your Bible regularly. How can you be prepared to share your faith if you don't know what your Bible says? If you're confused and, and bumbling and fumbling over it? Now, you might know it because you've heard it so many times, but do you know it to the sense where you understand it and there you can maybe share or teach with someone else? I just want to encourage you, if you're not in God's Word, you need to be in God's Word um, and memorizing the Scriptures. And if, if you're not doing those things, you're going to be really hindered in your evangelism. And we're going to be talking about that in the upcoming weeks as we're talking about practical steps and things that you can do and disciplines and motivations for evangelism. Uh, we're going to want to be focused on how we can have good conversations and, and help people to rightly respond to the gospel. But you can't help people rightly respond to the gospel if you don't know how to articulate it in such a way that's beneficial for them. Now, a lot of times you might feel nervous or feel pressure that, oh, I got to lead this person to Christ. Well, yeah, we have a responsibility, so we should take that responsibility seriously. But you got to remember, it's the Holy Spirit who draws all men to himself. And so you're just called to be faithful, not fruitful. The Holy Spirit will, will save that person. He'll regenerate their heart. And we pray that in our faithfulness that God will work. There, there are so many times where I've shared my faith with people and I thought, oh man, I could have said it better. You know, we always could have probably always done better. If we recorded every conversation, the evangelistic conversation we had, and we went back and listened to it, we'd think, yeah, I could have done this better. I could have done that better. We could always be better, but we can't be perfectionists when it comes to sharing the gospel in the sense of beating yourself up because you, didn't, you, met, you forgot this verse or you, you, you could have said it this way or that way. You just need to know your Bible and be faithful, and you'll get better as you do it. You will. You truly will get better as you do it. And here, here's uh, some shameless plugs, okay? For some of you guys who um, serve in the church, be involved in ministry at the church, especially with our younger kids, because you get a lot of opportunities to share the gospel with younger kids through teaching VBS lessons or middle school mania or at camp, what have you, doing these different things, parents night out, all those kind of th ways you can serve, upward basketball. Those are all opportunities for you to serve and to insert yourself in situations where you have to share the gospel. So serve. Serve in the local church, and you will become a better sharer of the gospel. It's a safer environment to share the gospel for sure than like your university classroom or your workplace, but that's at least good training ground for you to better be sent out to share the gospel. So um, we have nine minutes, which is great. I wanted to have a little bit of time. In case, does anyone want to add any other passages of scripture that help form that biblical basis for evangelism, or does anyone have any questions about anything we covered today? Any questions or scripture to add? Yes. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah, the love of God should be our motivation. We're going to talk about motivations next week, and that'll definitely be one of them. Yeah, absolutely. That's great. Thank you for sharing that, Ms. Miriam. Uh, I think a, a passage that helps us have the biblical motivation is in Romans 10. Um, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? 
How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as, as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news to this place. Yeah, absolutely. That's an excellent passage to encourage us in our evangelism. Thank you for that. That's a good one. Anyone else? Any other comments, questions, or scripture to share? That's a good, yeah. yeah, anybody? And uh, have a word in with, or? Rob? This afternoon I asked the kids in high school, not college, whatever, some young people at the house. <laughs> <laughs> it's a variety of ages. So uh, anyway, uh, we were kind of talking about this afternoon, and uh, so I, I pulled up a, a Way of a Master with Ray Comfort mm. video, and I just said, Yeah. 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 That's awesome. That's 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 creative. That's good too. Absolutely. That's awesome. That's great. Frankie?
Wow. So uh, he's been reading through the gospel, and he'll bring a list of questions from the passages he's been reading, and we'll go through that. So I need to get a copy of the list of gospel books to go through. Absolutely. But, you know, most of these people, uh, what I've learned is it's going to be a rarity for them to make a profession the first time you meet with them. And especially if they have a background of the errant doctrine, hmm. it takes a while to chip away at that. So once again, I emphasize Ephesians 2, 8, 9, where they went through step by step what that meant. Um, but he seems to still be a little confused by it. So we'll keep uh, going through it. And, you know, it's my job to be faithful, like you said, not to be fruitful, and that's the Holy Spirit's job. And he's very open and receptive. He's excited about reading the Bible. Hmm. So it, it's exciting. Yeah. And, and the less they know, the better. Hmm. Yeah. He's, he's completely, he's completely been biblically illiterate. Hmm. So, wow. Um, hmm. You know, it's a, it's a blank page, hmm. and he listens to everything that I tell him. It, it, it's, it's very encouraging. That's awesome. That's great. Thank you for that testimony, both of you. That's that's awesome. I know we're about to transition to do some other things here today, um, but real quick, let me pray for us in closing, and just even just pray for those people that y'all have had the opportunity to share the gospel with. Yeah. Absolutely. Thank you. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for this time where we could uh, better study what your word has to say about evangelism and its biblical basis just throughout the entire narrative of scripture. We pray that we would obey your commission, uh, knowing that you've given us authority to share the gospel. Uh, and we pray, God, that uh, we would be faithful to do so this week as we are in the store or at school or at work or wherever we might be that, God, we just be faithful. Help us to be reminded of the text of Scripture. Help us to be reminded of the salvation you've given us and to be grateful and uh, to be joyful and to seek, and, um, seek out the lost and, and share the gospel with them. We thank you for uh, Frankie's financial planner and the, and the Shelby's neighbors. We pray that uh, these opportunities that they both have, that you would uh, allow their faithfulness to see fruit come forth in the lives of those they share the gospel with. May your spirit and your word draw them uh, to yourself. And uh, for all those who maybe didn't get to share... Uh, but are sharing the gospel. Help us to be faithful uh, and see their lives changed uh, by your salvation. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.